So Skeeter made a reference to this young man sitting on the third row, Aaron Stevens. He was visiting with us last week with his wife, Lizzie. He's no longer a visitor. In case you didn't know that. Some of you saw the emails, some of you saw the announcements on Facebook, but he is not visiting anymore. He is here as our youth minister. He is a full-time employee. Amen. Come on up. So I want Aaron to just share. He, he spent the morning with some of the parents and kids in the, in the program this morning, but I want him to share just a couple of things with you here at the church. We welcome you to the family. Thank you. So Ed kind of gave me the heads up that he was going to send me up here this morning. And uh, so I asked him, I said, Ed, how much time do I have? And uh, Ed made the big mistake of saying, take as much time as you want. So, um, but in all seriousness, it is great to be home. And uh, my wife and I do consider this our home church. I look out this morning and I see so many familiar faces. And uh, just to give you a little bit of the backstory of how all this came to be, um, because it's, it's kind of an interesting story. And as we all know, God's timing is perfect. And God has a plan for all of us, even though at the time we may not understand it. And, and I can give you a perfect example of that. So just to give you a quick backstory, about uh, two and a half years ago, my wife Lizzie, who unfortunately is not with us this morning because she's still in Phoenix, uh, but she actually got an opportunity to do what she had always wanted to do, which was become a school teacher. And for those of you who are familiar, there's a program called Teach for America that takes people who got degrees in other things uh, helps them to get their teaching certificates and pays for them to have a master's degree. And quite frankly, it was just too good of a deal to pass up, so we had to take it. Um, so my family and I relocated to Phoenix about two and a half years ago. Um, it's been almost three years now. Um, but we had always talked about when we left, and some of you who have been around a long time can attest to this, that when we left, we'd always said, it's a two to three year commitment and we very well may be back. So. Um, as I mentioned earlier, God works in strange ways. Um, before we left, we had been working with the youth group, some of which are still here, a lot of which are still here. Um, but we had been working diligently with the youth group as we didn't have a youth minister at that time. And we loved every minute of it. That's actually what started my passion for youth ministry. And I've continued that wherever we have been up until this point. So fast forward to uh, about a month ago, I got a call out of the blue from Ken. And uh, he says, hey, we need a full-time youth minister, and we've been praying about it, and we want to talk to you about it. And I'll be honest with you, it kind of hit me out of the blue. It wasn't like I had applied for the position. Uh, I was kind of in shock, to be honest with you. And we spent a lot of time, uh, Lizzie and myself, in prayer and in conversation. Um, it's a big deal to pick up your family and move to another state. Um, but again, God has a plan for everything, and God has a reason. But what I want to share with you and kind of the point of this little backstory this morning is... We came last weekend to meet with the elders, and we, quite frankly, had not come to a final decision at that point. And after being here last Sunday morning, that sealed the deal for us. You guys welcomed us home with open arms and open hearts, and we're just so full of love and support that literally we left the building, we got in the car to make the drive back to Phoenix, and we were just like, wow. We just couldn't believe the overwhelming support that you guys gave us. So I wanna thank you guys for that, because you guys all had a part in us making this decision. So I wanna thank you for that and I wanna thank you for welcoming us back. I am super excited to be here. I couldn't be more excited. I felt like a little kid on Christmas Eve last night because I knew I was gonna to get to come here this morning and meet the kids and meet some of the parents and, and just really start to kind of dive into what I'm gonna be doing here. I'd been in the office for a couple of days with Alicia and with Mike and I was just so excited to come in this morning and I'm just thrilled to be here. And just to kind of give you just a brief synopsis of kind of my vision 
for the youth group, which I could spend the next hour talking about my vision for the youth group. I won't do that to you, Ed. <laughs> like I said, I could. I could easily, because this is my passion. I could talk about this all day. But just to give you kind of a brief, kind of a, a vision of, of what I see happening with the youth group here, what I've seen in youth group is there are a couple things that really desperately need to be addressed. Number one is helping kids find and develop their faith. So, of course, that is our number one priority, is to help them discover faith in, in Christ, to develop a relationship with Christ. The next part of that is then to be able to go out into their schools, to go to their jobs, and be able to share that with others. And that's something that I've seen is lacking with a lot of our kids today, is they don't feel comfortable sharing Christ with others. So one of my goals for our youth group is to really empower these kids to go out and share their faith. Again, that doesn't mean standing on a street corner with a megaphone and a sign uh, saying the end is near, come to Christ. That's not what I'm talking about, of course. But to be able to have them go back to their schools, to go to their friends, to talk about what Christ has done in their life and what he can do in their life. That, that's one of my big visions. Now, of course, are we going to have some fun along the way? Absolutely. Are we going to have some events along the way? Absolutely we are. But we're going to be Christ-focused and we're going to be equipping them to go out and do what they need to do and to prepare them for their next step. So we're going to be heavily involved in the community. We're going to be heavily involved in this church. You're going to see the youth is going to have a huge presence in this church as we move forward. So again, I am just super excited to be there. Thank you so much for all of your love and support. Thank you to the parents who have already approached me and said, hey, we're here to help you in any way. We're here to walk alongside you. Guys, with youth ministry, you can never have too much help. So if that's something that's on your heart, that's something that's on your mind, please uh, let myself know, let Patty know, and we will be more than happy to kind of get you plugged in, even if it's uh, hosting one of the nights of our, or hosting one of the stops on our progressive dinner for Christmas, if it's coming and helping out with events here at the church or when we go out in the community, we would love it. And the biggest thing I can ask for all of you guys, whether you're connected with the youth group or not, is please be in prayer. Okay, we're in a time of transition. We all know that. I'm not going to go into details on that because you guys are already way more familiar with it than I am, but we're in a time of transition. Transitions are hard. They're hard for adults. They're hard for kids. They're hard for teens. They're hard for everybody. So please just be in prayer as we move forward to this new season of ministry. As Lizzie and I begin our ministry here, just be in prayer for us, for this group, and for this church in general. So thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Yes. I have 12 minutes. <laughs> Listen fast. Let me back up. We're going to talk about 1 Peter for the next couple of weeks. And I've chosen this book simply because it was written right on the heels of uh, the earliest days of the church and the church kind of launching itself. And when you look at the earliest days of the church, you'll see in the history of the church, there was a tremendous enthusiasm and excitement and there was, an, uh, there was quite a bit of growth that was happening among the believers at the time. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter over the next couple of weeks and, and gather a couple of nuggets from there just to kind of give us some insight as to the kind of people that God would have us to be. We've been talking about discipleship for several weeks, and I'm going to presume that all of us who are in the room are disciples of Jesus or you wouldn't have had the nerve to come to church today. <laughs> Why would you be here if you didn't care something about Jesus? Now, you may have a burning fire inside of you that can't be contained with five fire trucks, and you may have a smoldering wick. 
And the book says that Jesus will not snuff out that smoldering wick. He will not break that bended or bent reed. He will work with you and help you become whatever it is that you're to become. And without the smoldering wick, sometimes the great fires can't ever get started, in case you didn't know that. And if you've ever been camping, you know what I'm talking about. If you've left the fire overnight and the fire looks to be almost gone, but you don't want to start a whole new fire, you can take the smoldering embers and you can create a roaring forest fire if you would like to. And so from the smallest to the greatest among us, God can use us in any, in any number of different ways. As I said last week, not all of us are preachers or teachers, thank God, because it'd be hard to get everybody up here on a Sunday. And we'd be here past 1230 or 1.30 or 2 o'clock. But I want you to know that all of us in some way can work. But I have to tell you this story first, because sometimes we want to work and we don't know how to work. Is that fair? Anyone ever experienced that? You would love to do something, but you're not really sure what to do? I experienced that. I was in Houston, Texas. My wife and I had moved to Texas for my job. I transferred down there and I was literally sitting in my truck downtown Texas and I had a phone in my pocket, or in my, not in my pocket, I had a phone in my hand and it was a brand new phone. It was called an iPhone. This is not the 10, just saying. This is not even the eight. I don't even know what version this is, but I know I had an iPhone in my hand when I was sitting in my truck. And I was ready to throw my phone through the window of the truck and allow it to bash into a million pieces because I couldn't figure out how to work the stupid thing. And I call it stupid even though many refer to it as a smartphone. It's the user that's more uh, inept than the, than the phone itself many times. And I was very inept that evening. So I did what every good father does. He calls his son. Especially a son who's a geek and who knows about computers and all that kind of stuff. So I picked up the phone and I did know how to make a phone call on the thing. And I called my son, Matt. I said, Matt, I said, I need your help. Now you have to understand something. There's a reason I wear glasses. Because when I don't wear glasses, I can't read anything that's this close to my face. I can't even read it when it's this close to my face anymore. It's called getting older. And, and so I called my son. I said, Matt, I'm going crazy with this phone. It's driving me nuts. I don't know what to do with it. I'm ready to throw it away. I just spent hundreds of dollars on this thing. And I, he said, Dad, what's the problem? I said, I'm trying to go somewhere and I can't get the phone to tell me where to go. I know it'll do it, but I don't know how to do that. And I promise you, and I quote my son, he said, Dad, do you see the big button at the bottom of the phone? I said, yes. He said, press it and hold it. It will talk to you. And I felt about this big. And I pressed the button. And I spoke to the phone and it answered me and it took me exactly where I needed to go. And it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life, second to having my third child. Oh, I didn't have, no. I'm just, it was amazing. You know, sometimes we don't know what to do. We just don't know what to do, but it's a simple thing. It's just pushing the button and it's speaking to the thing sometimes. That's all it takes. But if you don't know what button to push, and if you don't know what to say, even if you push the button, we're lost. So there are some very, very basic things that Peter shares with us in this letter that he writes that will give us some guidance as to how to live our lives and how to be the disciple that he wants us to be, that God wants us to be, that Christ encourages and calls us and draws us to be. The first one is that we just have to continue to live life as if we are a disciple of Jesus. Understanding that the trials and the tribulations of life, whatever that life throws at you, is thrown at you for a reason. In the adult class this morning, Ray McPeak taught in the class over here in the fellowship hall. He was talking with us and he shared repeatedly that God has a plan for us. Well, the reality is the trials of life have come so that your faith may result in praise and glory and honor to God. 
That's what life is all about for a believer. There aren't any accidents. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. Don't go there with me, because I'm not, because I don't believe that God pulls all the strings and we're all a bunch of puppets like marionette strings and he's pulling all the strings. And That's not what this statement is about. But I know that God has a plan for us. And he allows us to make decisions. He allows us to walk through paths. But the most important thing that God calls us to do is to live our lives in such a way that whatever it is that we do, praise, glory, and honor are given to him. Yesterday evening, Lynn and I went to a store. We were leaving the store. As we walked into the store, there was a gentleman sitting there. He had one of those little pull cart things, you know, and he's sitting on the bench outside of the store. Very nice gentleman, very neatly dressed. I, I, I looked at him and I spoke to him as we walked in. As we're coming out of the store a few minutes later, I spoke to him. And, and let me share a secret. The reason I speak to people is because you never know what's going to happen unless you talk to somebody. You know that? I'm crazy enough to even do it in New York City on the subway. That's a little weird. And I get some really, really weird responses from people in New York when, they look, when I look at them in the eye and they look at me, they're like, man, what are you looking at? And they give me that, that evil look like I'm going to kill you. And I'm, I get away with it because I talk funny. Because I sound like I do and I'm from Alabama and it helps. But if you don't talk to people, you never know what they need. And so as we're walking out of the store last night, I'm speaking to this gentleman. He said, excuse me, sir. He said, do you think you could help me a little bit? I've lost my access card. An access card is a little card that you can get to ride the bus. It's just a simple card, 20 bucks, 25 bucks a month, and you can go anywhere that the bus takes you. He says, I lost my access card. I said, man, I said, if you lost your access card, it's hard to get access to anything, isn't it? And he and I had a good chuckle and laugh, and he said, yes, it is. And I said, well, and I gave him some money. Now, it's not the money that I want to tell you about. Here's what happened after I gave him the money. He said, God bless you. Now, excuse me, but if I'm not mistaken, the trials and tribulations, that's not my trial or tribulation, that's his trial and tribulation. I was, just happened, I, would, I was just given the privilege to stand in a place to offer this man a $5 bill, but it resulted in praise, glory, and honor to God because he said, God bless. You get where I'm coming from? How many times have you and I had the opportunity to do the smallest, the kindest, the, the, the most incidental thing for someone else? And the response that they give to us is, thank you, God bless you. That is what Peter is speaking to. Now sometimes there are horrible, no good, very bad things that happen to people. I get that. And when those things happen, we can step up and we can be a great encouragement and an encourager to those people. We can be their life source for what life needs at that time. And God may be glorified in that. But it's the smallest, most significant of things sometimes that provides the greatest blessing to God. Don't be afraid to speak to someone. Don't be afraid to look at someone and to share your life with them for just a moment to give them the opportunity to praise God for something that you get to do because you showed up that day. Peter goes on, or Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, did all for the glory of God. He writes that in Corinthians. To the letter to the church in Colossae, he writes, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, the problem with Paul is he uses these words like whatever. And it's not like the valley girls used to say a few years ago, whatever. It's not that kind of whatever. It's whatever. Like, it doesn't matter what's happening. Whatever it is, this is how it works. Our brother read just a few moments ago from Corinthians chapter 9, where he talks about God is able to make all grace abound to you, so then everything... And he went on to say that God will always give you what you need. That's what that passage teaches. There is, not an, there is not an opportunity that will ever come your way that you won't have the necessary means to meet the opportunity. That's what God does. The question is, 
Do we have just enough faith, just enough faith to step through that door, to engage that conversation, to extend our hand, to open our hearts and our minds, and to allow God to lead us into that place where he can bless us? Peter continues in chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, Though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. How many of you have seen Jesus? Uh, None of us physically, yes. Not a single one of us. And yet all of us are gathered here today in the name of Jesus. And we have seen him in many, many ways, but it's not by physical appearance. There's a shroud floating out there somewhere in the world, and it supposedly has an impression of Jesus when he was in the tomb. And maybe that's real, and maybe, well, it is a real shroud. I don't know if it's his real impression or not. And I don't know what Jesus looked like. I don't know if he had long hair, short hair. I don't really care. But what I do know is I can see him when I look at him in the Word. I can see Jesus when I see him living through you. People can see Jesus when they see him living through me. When they see the things that we do, do you realize how many times people were assisted and and aided and, and encouraged and blessed by Christ just because of something simple that he did? Something simple. Like giving them a meal. You know, the people that were fed, the thousands that were fed, didn't come the next day or a few days later to see another miracle. They came because they got their bellies full the first time. They came back to get a meal again. Do you realize that there are some people who even come here on Thursday night for our comfort cafe, they have the audacity to come just because we're feeding them? Do you realize there are people that do that? And my response is praise Jesus and praise God. Because maybe someday, somewhere, somehow, And eating that meal, someone will say something to them that will cause them to say, I want Jesus. And I didn't come just for the meal. I came for the fellowship. I came for the heart. I came to find the Lord. There is an inexpressible and glorious joy that you and I get to experience when we live like Jesus in our community. When you and I extend ourselves, when you and I open our hearts to people who are around us, when we will become vulnerable and transparent with people so that they can see us for who we are and see us for the one who lives in us, when they see that, there is a joy that is inexpressible that goes beyond any words could ever describe. Would you live like that? Peter goes on in chapter 3, he says, Obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but as he who called us is holy, be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now I have something to share with you about being holy. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. But what does the word holy really mean? You didn't know I could dance, did you? What does holy really mean? In a sense, it has the essence of being set aside as something for special use. Holy. Be holy as I am holy. See yourselves in a way that God can use you in a special way. However small and insignificant or great it may be, God has called us to be holy. He's called us to allow ourselves to be used in a very, very significant way for something very, very special. 
The things that were considered most holy in the temple were things that were set aside for very, very special use and maybe even used only once a year. All of us have the opportunity to be holy. Now that you purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. A new command I give to you, Jesus says, love one another. And it is a new command because it is a kind of love that goes beyond the kind of love that they had experienced in the past. When Jesus came here, it says that he loved us so much that he was willing to give his life. No greater love has any man or woman that she would give his or her life for another. Are you willing to give yourself to someone else? Now there may come a day when something horrific happens, some crazy circumstance occurs, and you find yourself in a position where in this split moment second you have to decide if you'll give your life physically for someone else. And you may take the bullet for somebody. But more often than not, and more likely than not, you and I are going to be called to give our lives for other people in a way that doesn't require us to physically die but it requires us to emotionally die and to spiritually die and to give ourselves over and over and over again on behalf of other people who do not know Jesus or who do not know him the way that you know him or who have not experienced that inexpressible joy. That's what we share. That's the life that we can give. That's loving from our hearts. And so Peter calls us to be a chosen people. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week because there's some special things about being this chosen people. How would you like to be the chosen one? I have news for you. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, if you have gone into this watery grave that you and I refer to as baptism and you've washed away your sin and you, you, you arose from there calling upon the name of the Lord, guess what you are? You are. The chosen one. Mike, that's the name of the sermon next week. The chosen one. Because you are chosen. You are the chosen ones. And if you have been chosen and if you have been selected to do something great for God, then by all means, step up. And do not be afraid. For God tells us through the words of Christ Himself, don't be afraid as to what you're going to have to say. If you get thrown before the Sanhedrin, if you get thrown before the governors, if you get cast into jail, if you get caught in a situation where you're on trial for your faith, don't worry about what to say because the Spirit Himself will tell you and give you the very words that you need to say. You're the chosen one. So this morning I invite you to realize and to consider that our lives as disciples is not merely showing up for church on Sunday. But it's showing up for church every day. Because church, in the most literal sense, means those who are called out. And I'm calling you out. Right now, I'm calling you out to be the church that God needs you to be in this community. And wherever your community is this week. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how fat you are. I don't care how skinny you are. I don't care what kind of health you have or what kind of good health you don't have. 
I'm calling you out to be God's chosen people in this place, this week, for this time. Because I promise you, there's somebody this week that you will see or speak with, and you are the only chosen messenger that they'll get to see this week. Live in anxious anticipation of the coming of the Spirit of Christ in your life so that He will open doors to allow you to walk through to experience that joy. And it may be just that fleeting moment when you hand somebody the $5 bill But praise be to God. Because that is what all of our work is about. To bring praise and honor and glory to the name of Jesus. We're going to sing a song here that's called 10,000 Reasons. The first words of this song, I think, if the slide's like they used to be, is bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship his holy name. What an amazing song. So I invite you to sing this song with all of your heart, full of love, full of an an inexpressible joy to lift up the name of Jesus so that when we leave this place, we'll be prepared to be the chosen ones of God. Let's stand and sing this song and encourage one another. Skeeter, come and lead us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Oh.